Flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio with The Swoop, Cambridge's exciting new retail taproom. Experience local on Green Street. To find out more, visit them at theswoop.co.uk. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour, an hour of food and drink news for Cambridge and South Cambridgeshire. I'm Matt Bentman. And I'm Alan Holder. And it is just Alan and myself here today. Sue Bailey is away. However, she has left us with a feature on local wild food foraging with the foraging chef Steve Thompson, which we'll hear later in the programme. Uh, we'll also be hearing from Mike Malloy of Malloy Craft Butchers and about an event they're doing soon. And we're going woofing. And as usual, we'll be bringing you a roundup of the local food news and at the end of the programme, some job vacancies too. But let's begin with a new stall called Sweet Pea Market Garden, which has popped up at various markets in and around Cambridge. It's at Cambridge Market every Wednesday opposite the church, selling produce from its small holding in Caxton. I spoke to founder Adrienne Gordon at the end of the day's trading about how it came about, what they sell and where else they sell it. Adrienne, prior to being a market gardener, you were a barista. Yes, yes. In Cambridge. Yes, I've worked at several cafes around Cambridge. Yeah, including Hot Numbers and um, the Locker. Yeah. Well, while you were sort of doing your flat whites and so on, were you actually thinking I'd much rather be growing fruit and veg? Yeah, well, <laughs> I loved it. I did. I love. I loved making people something I thought they would really enjoy, and I think that that has been translated into growing veg now. Um, so I've always loved being outside, and that's the one thing that you can't do very easily as a barista. I just wanted to do something that was building a better future. So part of giving people things they would enjoy i mean are you growing varieties that are particularly enjoyable for, yes because i mean a lot of people just grow varieties that will give a, a high yield and they'll get more money but that's that's not the way you're doing it no so i'm really focusing on flavor color like vibrancy and interest and i just i want to produce a really high quality product as well as thinking about how it's grown and the impact that it has yeah well i see you've got a planet first produce sign up so yes again that you know this reflects your philosophy yeah so what sort of things have you done which perhaps made your task as a grower more difficult but it fits in with what you want to do um, i mean presumably you're not spraying your crops with you know no so we aren't <laughs> things using... that kill bees <laughs> No, so we aren't using any uh, chemical inputs at all. We are planting for pollinators, so lots of flowers and companion plants. We're also doing everything with hand tools rather than with heavy machinery because that has less of an impact on the soil. Well, compacting. The yeah, soil. yeah, compacting and also soil, like 
agitation like ploughing and, and things like that can damage the soil structure and biology. Um, so by using hand tools, we lessen the impact that, that our working with the soil has. Okay, well, that's, um, this sounds like terribly hard work. You must, have, <laughs> <laughs> you must have done a huge amount. Yes, yes. Because been... you just started off with a field, presumably, that had weeds in it. Anyway, so you've had to sort of deal with the land. You've had to weed it. You've had to decompress it. Yeah. Um, and you've had to do a lot of planting. I mean, how many people are involved? Um, I have quite a big family. I've got three sisters and my parents have helped out a lot. So weekends are often the family at the farm building polytunnels or putting up sheds or um, things like that. And then my sister is helping full time with setting up. We do a few events where we invite a group of people to come. Um, so we planted the garlic as a group and we planted the squash as a group and I'd like to do more things like that. I also want to recognise that farming is and growing veg is a skill that should be paid. So it's my ambition to actually pay people to do this work rather than relying on volunteers. Just tell us a little bit about some of the more unusual things you're going. I read about spicy microgreens. What, what, what are they? Yeah, so microgreens are the sprouted seeds of um, vegetable plants. So our spicy microgreens are a mix of rocket, kale, radishes, um, and basically they're delicious and they're also very nutrient dense. I don't know exactly, but some people say it's up to 10 times more nutrient dense than eating the, the same weight of the adult plant. And they're something that we can grow quickly so we're hoping to have that all year round. You must have had to do a lot of finding out. I mean, how did you learn the skills that you've got? About six years ago, I left to go cycle around New Zealand and I started woofing, which is volunteering on organic farms. And that's how I realised that this was actually something that people do in a way that people do earn a living because before that, I just didn't know that that... <laughs> was a possibility um, and then I worked for some other organic growers um, I also listen to a lot of podcasts and read books um, and talk to other growers so that's yeah how yeah. I've learned but what you've come across this year is a terrifically difficult year for growing presumably because of the heat yes the drought yes yeah, so actually, interestingly, where I was working last year in Sussex, we had the polar opposite problem, which was it was too wet. And our courgettes were sulky. They had reeds growing in between them, like water reeds. We lost loads of crops due to leather jackets, which are uh, daddy longlegs grubs in the soil. There is always an issue to overcome with farming and it's going to become increasingly difficult with climate change and unpredictability. But that's why it's important that we have people working out how to grow food in a resilient way. Because if we care for the soil, it is able to cope with drought and things like that much better. Um, so we need to be supporting agroecological farmers to do this 
so that we have food security in the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you're growing, I mean, the tomatoes just look superb and, and several varieties, including that black opal, I can see. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, not a lot of people sell black opal tomatoes, do they? <laughs> and the, um, the courgettes and the chard, which looks stunningly beautiful. Yeah. I mean, they're a testament to what you're doing because it's worked, hasn't it? You're getting yeah. really nice looking produce. Yeah. And are you getting much customer reaction? Uh, yes, it's so nice being on the market because we get to hear how people have found the um, veg and everyone just says it looks beautiful and um, are really enjoying it. So that uh, I love that. That's yeah. really Tell nice. us where you're selling so people know where to go. We are on the Cambridge Market on Wednesdays, opposite the church yeah. and next to the bread. We um, we sell at St Ives Farmers Market, on and that's fortnightly. Yeah, first and third Saturday of the month. We have just started selling at Impington Farmers Market, and we also sell at local farm shops and delis around Cambridge. So Burwash Larder, Shelford Deli, Meadows, and Radmore Farm Shop are all stocking some of our salads and things like that. Right, oh, yeah. that's good. Okay. And I assume you're thinking ahead, what are you going to do in winter, you know, when That's, fewer things will, will grow? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm trying to come up with my winter planting plan now, um, but we don't have a lot of covered space, so we won't be able to grow, we won't be able to do a lot of things. Um, so I'm, we may have to take a break this year. I'm hoping to continue the salads and microgreens all year round. Okay, yeah. so you don't envisage a return to your life as a barista then? <laughs> I may do some uh, coffee making in the winter. Um... <laughs> just to tide you over. Stop getting bored. Yes. <laughs> Adrian, thanks very much and good luck to you. Thank you. Well, that's a really impressive venture. Adrienne Gordon from Sweet Pea Market Garden, and we've had some of their produce at home, and it's really good. And if you're inspired by the prospect of woofing, by the way, stay tuned. We've a feature all about it coming up. I'm free. I'm free. And now details of free food available in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Olio app, and it's there so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. That's right. So taking a look at Olio today shows us that Alison in Arbury has four packs of baby potatoes and a packet of seedless grapes to give away. Dan near Cherry Hinton Park has three pastries, two donuts and a cinnamon swirl, along with brioche burger buns and hot dog rolls available. Nick in Arbury, he's your man for crisps this week. He's got four packets of sour cream and chive snackerjacks and three packets of roast lamb and mint Yorkshire crisps for anyone who's interested. And finally, Chris, based off Adambrooks Road, has a box of sweet and spicy matcha green tea to give away. He loves the brand, it's just not his flavour, this particular flavour. And that's just a few of the things that are available around the city today via the early app. Yeah, and there's another free app called Too Good To Go, and that has unsold food from restaurants and shops, uh, often at less than half price. And rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is just packaged as a magic bag ready for you to take home. And that's instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. Mm, OK, so on to our first news break now. And on the 3rd of August, The Swoop in Green Street is having a chicken wing takeover with dips, small batch sauces. You'll need to book online for this one. 
Hokey Smokey are selling their barbecued 14-hour slow-cooked meats in Fenstanton on Fridays and Saturdays from 1 till 8pm. There's a new gelato and pasticcini shop called Dulcis. It's opened in Rose Crescent and their products are made all on site. Flourish has two flower days coming up on the 13th of August and the 10th of September. It includes a tour of the farm to see the flowers and the edible produce growing, as well as flower picking and arranging and a lunch. On the 4th of September at 7pm, Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, has a five-course menu based on local foraging. Tickets for this cost £50, and here's Steve with more. 4th of September, we're back at Bar Hill, which was the same place as our last time, at the uh, Cambridge Bar Hill Hotel. We're doing one night only. We've got five-course tasting menu, £50 a head. If you go on my website, www.theforagingchef.co.uk, there is loads of ways to contact me there to book a place. And tickets are going fast, I gather. Yeah, they're selling really quickly for this one, so I don't think we'll have too much longer to go, so do get in contact quick. Houdini's next Italian supper club is in Willingham. It's on the 12th of August. A four-course dinner cooked by Alex Harris. Arrive at 7 for service at 7.30. The cost per head is £45. Aromi has partnered with the Ely Fudge Company and they've created salted caramel and vanilla cream gelato and several others. The Petersfield in Sturton Street is having a rosé supper club on the 17th of August at 7pm. It's a five-course meal designed around five rosés and the cost is £40 a head. And on the 28th of August, Ridley Hall off Sitchwick Avenue in Newnham is hosting its first ever public event. Experience some of the most beautiful ballrooms and dining rooms in Cambridge and sit down to a great taster menu, courtesy of Mike Malloy and the team at Malloy's Craft Butchers. So, here's Mike now with some more details. You've got this gig going on at Ridley Hall. Now, that's an Anglican teaching college, I think. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, they're a charity. They have been doing some really good work in the food industry for the last few years, but this is their first ever public event. How did you get involved with it all? We've been supplying Ridley for the last couple of years, um, working with head chef Howie Milton. Really great guy, fantastic chef. He saw that we were doing events with other places and said, this is something we'd like to get involved in. So, yeah, it's a really, really exciting opportunity for us. Now, we found out about this event through your post on Instagram, Mm -hmm. and you posted up a menu. Can you tell us a little bit about the menu and what's so special about it? Yeah, so when we put on these events, it's all about producing the very best that meat has to offer. So be it a steak night, we'll put on the very best steaks from around the world. This one is a little bit more of showcasing what the chefs at Ridley Hall can do fine dining-wise versus our best produce. So here's some of the things that are on the menu at the Ridley Hall event. We have some Wagyu tartare, some chicken liver parfait with a Wagyu dripping, the herb-fed chicken, best chicken in the world, smoked duck, the confit enchanted hill pork belly, the salt marsh lamb from Norfolk. Traditionally, salt marsh lamb is very hard to come by. Hmm. We've got a fantastic farmer just the other side of Kings Lynn. Uh, why is salt marsh lamb so rare? Without wishing to get myself into too much trouble, okay. there are something like 24,500 salt marsh lambs produced every year. There are about 200,000 salt. Mm. Lots and lots of people will tell you they have salt marsh lamb, none of it's certified. So to get certified salt marsh lamb is very, very difficult. We're lucky to be one of those people. But because of the extra salt in their diet, they intensify their flavour. You know, they're getting really, really good nutrients from the grass they're eating. Mm. It's always wet. It's always got, you know, really good food, which means it turns into a really, really healthy animal. Phenomenal flavour. So we've got our pork from our own farm from Enchanted Hill and had them, what can they do with that? You know, come up with something really special. Yeah. We've got the retired dairy beef, which is something that I hang my hat on in my career. 
retired dairy beef. Mm -hmm. uh, just to explain that for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, so when, when cows come out of the dairy industry, they're not in a great shape. Normally they go into dog food, which is a colossal waste. So we retire them for about three to five years mm. on some really, really good grass, finish them a little bit on some grain, put a little bit of extra dryage on them, and you get the most fantastic beef. It's super sustainable. It's never going to be the cheapest beef ever, but it's going to have a phenomenal flavour because you've got the eight, nine up to 13 years of life that you're tasting yes yeah and then we've got the wagyu ice cream which i ask every chef to produce when we do these events and there's a little post dessert we used to do them back at the green dragon when we had the events there uh, we're pairing that with a black garlic yogurt and some lamb fat panko a really really interesting take on a greek style dish done with local ingredients it's quite heavy it's quite Moorish, yeah, but yeah, black garlic yogurt. You said, yeah, so yeah, infusing <laughs> yeah. The, the black garlic into the yogurt is really a phenomenal depth of flavor that just means that, yeah, it's nice and creamy, but you've still got that edge of garlic in there. Wow, the last event, Jack's Gelato made it for oh, the yeah. pint shop, but this time the guys that really, really want to have a go and see what they can do with it. Wagyu ice cream. Now, we talked about Wagyu beef before mm -hmm. and Jagyu beef the last time I was here with yes. you. Yes, so we take the Japanese Wagyu fat from the A5 Wagyu, we render that down and then put it through an ice cream. But there's so many different takes on it, whether you go slightly sweeter or slightly more salty to counteract the beef fat, and you get a really creamy result. Again, it's up to every chef to bring that to the table, and people that come to every event will say, that chef created a really great ice cream, that one didn't. Some have tried it with dark chocolate, some have tried it to pair it with a you know pig fat sticky toffee pudding oh wow um just just you know do something different and get creative and find the best from the products that we've got and again it's all about sustainability and using every part of the animal so yeah lots and lots of wagyu really cool flavors really championing the best meat from around the country and around the world cool. now this is at ridley hall this is open to the public, this dinner. Yeah, definitely. You know, anyone can buy tickets. It's a really great opportunity to see one of the most beautiful buildings in Cambridge. Yeah. Their ballroom. We've got, I think, nibbles and drinks on the grass beforehand. And then you go into this, this epic dining room. Not many people get to see inside the colleges. Yeah. And although this isn't, you know, part of Cambridge University, they're a tag on. But it's a really great way to go and see what these places are like. And it's just phenomenal. <laughs> you know, big stained glass windows. Portraits of the deans all around the... Yeah. You know, it's one of those buildings where you just look up and go, wow. You know, very similar <laughs> to a cathedral or a church. Yeah. It's, it's just an epic building. And, you know, to put on an event with one of the best menus I've seen in a very long time is, is very, very exciting. I'll tell you what, whilst I'm here, mm -hmm. is there anything that you'd like to shout out to what you've got in the shop? Anything you'd like to champion? You know, at the moment, the Jagu beef is, is looking phenomenal. This is now the five-year anniversary of me working with the farmer on that. The dietitian that we have, that we use to, to make sure they've got the perfect diet, is really, really happy with the way things are going. So the Jagu is phenomenal. We're working on lots and lots of new things, lots more sustainability. So we've got some nitrite-free bacon um, using celery salt. So that's coming out next week. Okay. Are there any jobs going here? Yeah, definitely. Program? I mean, you know, we're always looking for people. We are growing at an incredible rate. We've certainly got one shop opening in the next few months, maybe oh, two. Wow. So yeah, we are always looking for good people who are passionate about food, want to get involved, want to learn from some of the best guys around. You know, Rob, my manager, is one of the best butchers I've ever worked with. Yeah. I've been doing this for quite a while. And we also have Chef Paul, who is former head of fine dining at Royal Ascot Racecourse, who cooked for the Queen last year. There's some really fantastic people to learn from. So if you've got the passion for food and want to learn something new, we're the place to do it. And that's all available at Malloy's on Station Place in Cambridge. 
Yeah, that was Malloy's Craft Butchers. Now, if all that sounds good to you, then you'll need to message them via Instagram to get your ticket. Just look up Malloy's Craft Butchery. That's all one word, by the way. So message them to register your interest. Please be aware this is a black tie event. Okay, that's all for now. Uh, We will have more news later in the programme. Yes, we will. But for those of you who felt inspired by our first feature today and Adrienne Gordon's experience of cycling around New Zealand and then woofing on an organic farm, well, you too can woof, even if the cycling might be a bit of a challenge. Here's woofer Dee Fisher to explain what it is and to describe her experiences of it. So it's a way of offering volunteer labour on organic farms in exchange for your accommodation and meals. Right, well, you're woofing at the moment on an allotment. Have you woofed elsewhere? Oh, I have. Um, My daughter and I travelled around the UK and Europe for four months last year, and it was a great way to be able to do it. Um, We spent about two months in Cambridge last year. Uh, We woofed on a fantastic organic farm up near Peterborough for a little while, which was very different. It was an organic salad production. Uh, sort of place. So very, very different operation. We learned really quite different things there. Um, But I think the best place we stayed was actually on the mainland just outside Venice. Um, Stayed in a little gypsy caravan on an organic farm there. (laughs) And they have a, a constant rotation of woofers who work there all the time wonderful wonderful place wow it does sound good can you stay as long as you like or is there a limit do you know each individual owner or farm has their option about what they want and so some places would prefer only to have casual weekend workers come in so they tend to take people from the local area um others really varied a lot of the time you just negotiate on with the owner on what you're looking for and what they're looking for what dates are available right and you get accommodation for nothing do you yes now in return for your labor and and food as well the accommodation is not always as grand as i have in cambridge (laughs) oh (laughs) you know sometimes it's a tent but um (laughs) but they are required to provide accommodation that's reasonable and they they feed you Um, And, you know, we tend to, you usually do, um, the the usual requirement with woofing is that you work six hours a day for five days a week, and then your weekends are your own or whatever. And um, so we don't make our, we don't make our host feed us at the weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Do growing techniques differ? They do. And um, also management techniques. Uh, You know, working for the farm up in Peterborough, it was a much more regimented organization. We were up at six every day um, and really worked, had to work very, very hard to earn our breakfast. Um, And it was just extremely structured. And working for an individual as we are now it's much more relaxed we can you know he's quite forgiving if we have to go to an appointment or whatever we can kind of come and go and we make it up later so um, those things do come into it but I think the greatest thing about woofing has been the opportunity to learn Um, because I've I was a very experienced gardener when I started this I'd had my own quarter acre plot for 20 years Um, when I lived in the UK before. And, but I had never grown much in the way of vegetables. And so I, it's been an enormous opportunity to learn so much about just the, 
you know, the cultivation methods that are needed and the, the pests and diseases that are different from things that I've dealt with before. So it's been an incredible learning opportunity. And is it, is it quite serious? I mean, you know, one of the things that sort of uh, historically British students have done is gone grape picking in <laughs> France and sort of, I think, drunk a lot of wine and had a great time, you know. And it's, there's been a lot of bonhomie and, yeah. you know, it's been very communal and friendly is there any of that or, or is it oh, is it heavens not... there is everything of that we came when we came to cambridge last year we just came straight into a ready-made community there's a huge and and very warm and welcoming community that are looking at living life sustainably in this area and we tapped straight into that community they took us to their hearts we were at every party and (laughs) drinking all the beer and you know we were like part of the family and when we've come back this year we've been welcomed with open arms people couldn't wait to see us again and it's really just been lovely to to come back into that community that's really nice you know we've made lifelong friends yeah oh that's that's great um, what, what sort of age range do woofers sort of span? Well, you have to be, to sign up as an individual, you have to be at least 18. Um, and as long as I guess you're physically able, I don't think there's any upper limit. Um, if you're traveling with a parent or guardian, you can woof at a younger age. So my daughter was 16 when we were traveling last year, um, but she had to sign up through my membership. And um, so there are some places that won't accept children. I know people who woof as families, so they take their much younger children and they'll stay on a fruit farm or whatever, and it becomes like a combined family vacation and everybody works. So you could spend a summer holiday doing that? Absolutely. You could spend your whole life doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of tempted. <laughs> right, um, and so where, where where have you woofed outside of Europe? In, in You say in North America. I haven't um, woofed in North America, right. but I know a lot of people who have. And so one of my friends was, uh, we lived in the Canadian Rockies, which is uh, renowned for having no topsoil whatsoever. And so she went off way the other side of Canada um, to the real grain farming area. And um, she was running combine harvesters and all Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And it was a very, very different experience and, and working a lot with animals, which is nice for people that appeals to. She has a great love of horses. And so that was a really good opportunity for her to work with livestock. Right. Yeah. So it's really varied. Extremely varied. And you can woof, you say anywhere, so you go and woof in, I don't know, Singapore or Thailand yeah. or... Yeah, as long as they have agriculture going on, yeah. yes. You know, I know people who've woofed in Greece and Italy, Estonia, um, you know, there's just, it. you choose where you want to go and then you start to look. Right, but do you need to know much? you know you really don't it's a it's an asset if you do and some places some advertisers will be very specific about the skill sets that they're looking for 
It doesn't mean that they won't take you if you don't have those skill sets, but for a particular summer, for example, they might have a task that needs to be done. They might want to build an outbuilding, for example, that summer. So they're looking to have woofers at some point in that time who have the skills that would help them to do that. So it doesn't mean they won't take anyone else, but they'll be very specific about what they're looking for. Others will take anybody and you you know you do what you can you learn a great deal and um you work together so yeah so it sounds good so you to find out about it you look at the www.oof website yes right. dot, dot uk. i think it is right um, but there's a site for every country um so if you just google www.oof then you'll get the site that will tell you um, all of the different countries' websites. You you have to go to each country's website to register or to apply for placements in But there's countries. a link on that main one. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the best thing I could possibly say is don't hesitate because I know people who've woofed in Italy. They did not share a word of language with the people they were working with and had the best experience of their lives. It was absolutely tremendous. They were within a walk of the sea and they worked hard, they ate fantastically, had a wonderful holiday tucked in between, and again, made lifelong friends. By the end of it, they, you know, they were communicating beautifully and they've been back two or three times since then. Wonderful. It is, <laughs> it is wonderful. I don't have a bad thing to say about it. <laughs> right, thanks very much, Dee. It's my pleasure. <laughs> So there you have it, woofing. And if you're interested in doing it, as Dee said, there's stuff on the website that explains it all and lists opportunities around the world. Yeah, I did a bit of... Um, I didn't do woofing, but I worked for an organic farm and we we had lots of woofers on the land. And it's exactly like Dee said, and it was so nice. You know, I got to work with really interesting people, again, people from all across the world, very relaxed, but it's not like they didn't slouch, they didn't shirk their work, they did the proper job. The only thing that was odd is that some of them took on earth names, you know, things like that, <laughs> kind of hippie names, during whether it's during their duration with us or whether they well, like, just... Like what? Uh, like uh, Damodar and things like that, you know, right. where their real name was John. Yeah. <laughs> But did, did you do that, Martin? I, I, I didn't, unfortunately. I was a little bit too conservative <laughs> in my ways. But it was just, it was really great. And the funny thing is, the way that they worked and the, the ethics and everything reminds me an awful lot of, say, the empty common community garden here in Cambridge. Oh. The people that would come along and volunteer and work for that had similar ethos as well, yeah. you know. And, and some of them also were coming from a long distance just to you know, just to work and spend their time down at the Empty Common Community Garden. I thought it was fantastic. It's good. Good stuff. We'll be back in a couple of minutes with Steve Thompson and what's available to be foraged at the moment. Don't go away. Cambridge 105 Radio. Wednesday evenings on Cambridge 105 Radio is when we champion the Cambridge music scene. Tom Lumley of the band, Tom Lumley and the Brave Liaison. There'd always be 12 people from other bands going down to each other's gigs and it wasn't just be part of Hollow Stars Classic Rock or Searching Grey's Indie. These people then started going to watch all of our gigs, singing the words to each other's songs and making it a good atmosphere. You could see it in the fact that it went from struggling to sell enough tickets for the corner house to selling out J2. New Music Generator with Tim Willett, Wednesday at 7 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen live on Radio Player. 
suffering from buffering? Find yourself screaming, not streaming? Or do you just lag behind? Then it's time to demand better broadband. City Fibre is building a brand new full fibre network across the UK, giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average. So you can stream, game and video call without interruption. Get connected to full fibre today. Choose your provider at cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life cambridge 105 radio flavor on cambridge 105 radio with the swoop cambridge's exciting new retail taproom experience local on green street to find out more visit them at theswoop.co.uk and welcome back to Flavour. Now, it's been a while since we heard from Steve Thompson, the foraging chef, but Sue caught up with him on Wednesday. We haven't spoken for a little while, Steve, because you've been pretty busy. But also, has there been that much to forage? Yeah, there has been lots to forage. But as we're going to talk about now, this certainly this little drought that we're on at the moment and the real hot spell has changed what we're looking for at the moment so as we'd still be getting a few of the greens and stuff i know a lot of my patches are scorched now and have kind of died back so what we're looking at is slightly different but also similar to what we'd look at for other years so for instance at the moment it's jamming season starting we're still looking for blackberries lots of the prunus that are starting to ripen up so all your wild plums uh, crab apples are just starting to get ready as well which are all great things to make jams out of jellies flavor alcohols flavor vinegars for dressings lots of things like that. loads of wonderful ways to preserve those if you want something a bit more savory pickling and lacto fermentation with fruit is wonderful so we're looking at all of those. Um, something I'd like to talk about, though, first is that a lot of the prunus still aren't ripe. And a wonderful thing to do with them is to make kind of like an olive type thing. So we've done it a lot with damsons in the past and a lot of like your mirabelles and cherry plums. Works really well with slow berries and stuff like that. I know a lot of people call them like slow olives, but they're very easy to make. What we often do is, yeah, just take the fruit, prick them slightly with a fork and then add them really simply to a 20% brine. Now, by 20% brine, I mean for every litre, you want 200 grams of salt. So 20% of the weight in water, you want to be salt, and that helps preserve. It also imparts a really good flavour and starts drawing this flavour out of the natural plums or whatever fruit you're kind of doing it with. It works really well with unripe. If you start doing it with ripe fruit, they do start to go a bit soft and squidgy and then take on that salt in almost an overpowering way. But yeah, a lot of the unripe fruit really hold their own, have their body, and it kind of adds a different dimension to them. So when they're unripe, you have kind of got that natural bitterness through there already. But with the kind of salty brine, and we also add 20% sugar as well to the brine, it really does bring out flavours. What we started off doing it with years and years ago was unripe green gauges. There's a little Turkish dish that they do with it called Eric, I believe. And it's where they take unripe green gauges and just dip them in salt and eat them. 
So that process got us thinking, oh, probably like 10, 12 years ago, we started doing it with that. And it's a wonderful little accompaniment. We've done, if you follow us on social media, you'll see unripe green gauges we've done as pavlovas. So we've sorted them and had that kind of salty sweet element with it and creaminess. We've done a lot with damsons where we serve it as kind of like a, we chop them up afterwards when they're unripe and brined, use them as like a dressing, almost like caper dressing kind of thing for venison and stuff to cut through the richness. Another good part of it is though, is you get this lovely fruity brine left at the end. Now, I don't know how many people do things with their meat at home and their big joints for Sunday lunch, but we like to brine ours before we're cooking. It gets a kind of much more even flavour of salt through the meat rather than just seasoning it on the outside. So it penetrates a lot more. Ah, that's interesting because I can't remember whether it was Dealey or or Nigella about the brined turkey, about making it much more succulent. So is that the same idea? Yeah, exactly like that. It does, it keeps it moister and it also allows salt the whole way through the meat so it gets a much more even flavour on it as well. And these fruit brines are absolutely wonderful for that. So yeah, you can go with poultry or venison, especially like haunches of venison, which are slightly tougher than the loins. We quite often brine whole ones of them in these liquors afterwards. So you've got a dual use to it when you're doing it. That's really clever. So you would use the brine to cover it and then keep it in the fridge overnight? Yeah, probably for a 20% brine. We probably, depending on the size, but say for a whole chicken, I'd probably leave it in there for a couple of hours. Not long. So then. not too long, no, because I don't want it to be overpowering on there either. You still want to have the taste of the original meat. And when you've got those kind of berry flavours in there, that can be too strong. So if you were to leave it overnight, but... To be entirely honest, if you thought you'd left it for too long, a little bit of soaking, just clean water would help clear that up anyway. True. Venison, again, how long would you do that for? For a haunch, I quite often take it down to the individual muscle groups on it, which are quite small, so I'd probably leave them in there for 40 minutes or so. But if I was doing the whole haunch deboned, yeah, probably two to three hours would be perfect. Okay. And when you said about the brining solution, so that was with sugar added in as well? Yes, so for every litre of water we do 200 grams of salt and 200 grams of sugar. So we tend to do white sugars at this time of year. It depends what I'm doing with it, but if I'm thinking winter, I use darker sugars. If I'm thinking summer and spring uses, I use lighter sugars. Would you just use a normal table salt or kosher salt, or doesn't it really matter? For something like that, I'd just use a normal table salt, to be honest. Cheapness. I don't think you're going to taste the difference if you're using like a molden salt or something like that. I just don't think there's a huge amount there. Because at the end as well, once we've carved the meat, we'd then season it with the sea salt anyway the coarse sea salt to get that flavor in at the end this is more to kind of penetrate the meat and give it a nice even finish so when you check your fruits they should be really okay got a color but really quite hard yeah really rock hard still just under right still nice and rock hard but perfect time of year at the moment to do that with is the slows when your slows are still they're full size at the moment but they're nowhere near ripe yet we've still got a couple months to go you can take them and make some nice slow olives and you can still just eat them as olives at the end i saw some this morning so i'll <laughs> go out and hunt some yeah it's a lovely way to do it it's nice and simple and gathering underripe fruit i think is sometimes easier as well and it gives you a little bit of time to play with it before so maybe you've got a couple of hours free today to go and harvest it all but you haven't got time to process it as well but you have tomorrow or the day after that buys you a little bit more time than really ripe fruit does that does yeah that's rather clever so that's one idea what else would you be foraging at the moment at the moment it's time to start looking to fill up the spice jar ready for winter so with this dry weather a lot of the seeds and things like that have really started to dry out on the plant naturally and we can go around and harvest really easily Uh, for me the best wild spice going is hogweed seeds 
So brush up on your identification for anything in that family. It's part of the carrot family. Hogweed, I think, is fairly simple to identify. I've been noticing a lot of dock seeds and a lot of nettle seeds. Are they worth doing anything with or not really? It depends what you're looking for for something. Flavour-wise, I don't think they are. Lots of people gather them. Um, Dock seeds you can use and make an alternative like gluten-free flowers out of. They're all right. Uh, Nettle seeds, again, have certain health benefits that people use them for, but flavour-wise for both of them, I don't think it's worth it. And that's what we're about, is flavour. Yeah, fair enough. And and you don't want to go and get get stung whilst you're trying to do something that's actually really not worth it. (laughs) Lots and lots of people do forage for nettle seeds, and I'm sure people listening to this will go, ah, he's rubbish, blah, blah, blah. But for us personally, I just don't think they're worth the time and the effort for flavour. But then again, that's the angle we come at it across. We yeah. come at it from a flavour perspective. Anything else at the moment, or should we be waiting more for the September one, when when more might be growing, perhaps? There's still some wonderful other spices as well on top of hogweed seeds. So if you're lucky enough to come across some Alexanders, they, in my eyes, the seeds of them are kind of like our version of black peppercorn. They're a little bit more aromatic than that, but they're a great one to keep. We keep them in the freezer because I find that even when you dry them out, a tiniest bit of moisture gets in there, turns them to mould. But they're a nice one to kind of harvest right now. Wild fennel as well, because at the moment, certainly the stuff that I've got growing in my back garden is still in flower. And when we've got these bright sun at the moment with the yellow flowers, take those flowers chop them off, bring them in, dehydrate them and grind them up. You've got some wonderful fennel pollen, which is a wonderful spice. It really is great. You've kind of got that light anisiness, a sweetness to it. It's just not as overpowering as the other parts of the plant can be. It's a lot more subtle, but it really does pack a punch still. It's brilliant just sprinkled over salads or cheeses and things like that. But also, yeah, just to finish off meat. If you mix it with salt, then you can use it as a really nice seasoning to finish your meat. And it just packs a punch, keeping it really simple. And then obviously as well, they're just about... It's kind of prime time to harvest them now. And then sort of next week and week after, they're going to start turning to seed. And fennel seeds is a lovely thing to just harvest Yeah. So in fact, if you've got quite a lot, which I, I think we have in the garden do both yeah exactly that yeah take half of it now for flour and take the other half for seed at the end other things to start looking out for is the rose hips are starting we'll talk about them further on in the year but they're just starting out now and they're far too early to harvest but they're a lovely spice as well so later in the year we'll talk about how we harvest them and how we use them as a wild spice tell me what you're going to be up to in the autumn most sundays we're still running the foraging tours around cambridge as well and we're hoping that if we get a little bit of rain soon we might see some mushrooms so we'll start a mushroom tour soon as well oh that would be good and how are the foraging tours been going because i know we had a great time and you provided a lot of very lovely information for for some of the earlier programs but they've been going well yeah they've been going really well we've been doing them pretty much every sunday we've had a break for a couple of weeks now but just because of the heat really and then uh yeah we're getting back to it again this sunday we had a break we're back this sunday we're actually in caldicott up at hardwick woods so we're going to be having a look at a few spots around there if you like wild garlic there obviously isn't any now but we'll be talking about the kind of habitat you might find it in and there's a rumour that you might find it in this woods. So be something to come check out. And then the week after, we're back at Tall Trees in Cambridge doing another one around noon. I'm in the city again. Certainly they're great fun. I can attest to that. So brilliant, Steve. Oh, well, Steve, thank you so much. Thanks, Sue. Yeah, that was Steve Thompson, the foraging chef. OK, on to some more news now. And Levant Kitchen has a fresh pasta pop-up in Station Road. That's from 12 till 2pm on the 26th of August. It's next to the Clayton Hotel. There'll also be some pesto on sale. 
Uh, some good news from Mark Poynton of MJP at the Shepherds in Fenditton. MJP gift vouchers bought between now and the end of August will get 25% free. So if you buy a gift voucher for £100, you will instead get one for £125. Email info at mjprestaurant.com to order. There are terms and conditions which you can check when ordering. Good news from Parker's Tavern in Regent Street too. Throughout August only, for every paying adult, a child can go along for free with their kids' eat-free afternoon tea. The offer is available Monday till Friday, 12 till 5pm. Alex and Regis Creppy of Amelie Restaurants have a residency at the Cambridge Cookery School. That's just off Hills Road. They'll be working alongside owner Tine Roche and offering brunch and lunch with freshly home-cooked dishes, as well as Amelie's flamcouche. They've also got salads and bowls inspired by Mediterranean and Middle East cuisine. That will be available too, as well as quiche and freshly baked sweet treats, homemade cakes, brownies and Swedish cinnamon buns. And Amelie, of course, will still be open in the Grafton Centre. Hot desking facilities are now available at the Histon Smokehouse. You can work in their Estrella room with lunch and bottomless tea or coffee, all for a very reasonable price. Book on Instagram from at OpenTableUK or phone Cambridge 491 174. On the 3rd of August at Amphora, there's a tasting of US wines from California, Oregon and other states. There'll be a minimum of six wines, accompanied by matched cheese and other snacks. The cost for this is £35 a head. Now, on the 10th of August, there is a vertical tasting of Chateau Mouzard. This will probably include reds from 1998, 2008, 9, 12 and 15, and whites from 2010 and 2014. The cost is £45 and tastings begin at 8pm. And congratulations to Cambridge Wine Merchants for being awarded the Large Independent of the Year and the Regional Merchant of the Year for East Anglia. The Dutch Cocktail Bar, sister to 196 Cocktails in Mill Road, is hosting a mezcal tasting on the 16th of August. It runs from 7 till 8pm and costs £15 plus booking fee. And it's at the Lock Hotel in Eddington Avenue, Eddington. Pastim Artisan Bakery, who you'll know at Cambridge Market, they are there now every Tuesday and Thursday selling sourdough and pastries. You'll also find them at their shop in Butt Lane, Milton, from 9 till 2 on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Uh, and sadly, leaving Cambridge Market after a mammoth 92 years is Harvey and Sons Fruit and Veg Stall, the longest-running stall on the market. Joe and Robert have sold their nursery and are taking retirement, so we wish them good luck. Good luck, yes. Uh, Flourish in Hildersham has produce boxes, edible flower punnets and poses available to pick up from their farm on the 5th and 6th of August. And you can place your order online by 5pm on the 3rd. Uh, and finally for this news section, Cambridge's Our Community Allotment will have a stall on Christ's Pieces on the 4th of August from about 11am where you can pick up some of their freshly harvested fruit and veg and have a chat with them if you want. <laughs> And there's the music signalling time for news from social media. Yeah, Heath Fruit Shop in Bluntisham uh, has lots of different types of plum available in their farm shop today and also the last of the apricots. 
We've just run a thing about Pastime Artisan Bakery. In fact, they've just put a message on Instagram to say that they're closed next week and reopening the 10th of August uh, in their shop every Wednesday and Saturday. Finn Boys has spaces for lunch today, Saturday, uh, and the Kingston Arms, which is a fantastic place to eat, uh, is open from midday till midnight today. Uh, Culinaris have said that there's a good range of Dijon mustards in their online shop and apparently there's a shortage of Dijon mustards uh, everywhere but not at Culinaris. And Gorilla Kitchen uh, has put a thing on Instagram saying that they are on Midsummer Common today, Saturday from noon till four next to the beginning of the Sculpture Trail and it's part of the Our Place in Space event. Okay, that's the latest. Now that the summer holidays are here, how do you amuse your children with something that interests you too? Well, museums are an obvious answer, though you have to make the right choice. Andrew Webb has been to one which features some food ideas and they are a bit unusual to say the least. How does Weetabix spread with fish paste sound? or poached egg on shredded wheat. Well, you may be surprised to learn that many products have changed their serving suggestion or market position since their invention. Pay a visit to the excellent Museum of Brands in London's Notting Hill and you'll see a carton of Weetabix from the 1930s advising you to serve said biscuits with milk, jam or cheese. The idea of putting a slice of cheese on a Weetabix and having it as a snack or for supper may seem crazy nowadays, but back then, products like this, and there were a number of them, were intended almost as long-life bread replacements. I actually tried this serving suggestion out, and while not totally unpleasant, it wasn't particularly tasty. But cheese wasn't the only topping. There's an advert from the 1920s that suggests spreading with jam, marmalade, fish or meat paste, or even sardines. Try that with the kids at breakfast. Another product that's changed over the years is Lucasade. If you're a child of the 60s or 70s, you knew you were really poorly when mum got the Lucasade in. Invented in 1927 by Geordie chemist William Owing and originally called Glucosade, it was originally designed to aid recovery of people with colds and illnesses. In 1929, it dropped the G, becoming Lucasade, and was even dispensed in hospitals to the sick. Then in 1983 everything changed and the iconic cellophane yellow wrapper was ditched and the drink repositioned as a sports drink rather than an illness recovery drink. AIDS recovery became replaces lost energy. This move was spearheaded by one of the greatest adverts of all time. It featured Olympic decathlon gold medalist Daley Thompson training to the heavy riffs of Iron Maiden's Phantom of the Opera and then refreshing himself with Lucasade. What's more, the voiceover at the end is none other than legendary sports commentator Des Lynham. You can't get more sport than that. This move remains perhaps the greatest brand repositioning ever, creating a whole new market section that later gave rise to Red Bull, Powerade and NRG, which a friend of mine once pronounced Nerg. Kedgeree is another product that's totally changed. The roots of Kedgeree lie in the Indian dish of Kichari, which is made with rice and lentils, flavoured and coloured with turmeric and mostly eaten for breakfast. In 1845, Eliza Acton, who never actually went to India, published a recipe that not only featured cayenne instead of turmeric, but also had eggs cracked into it. And it is she who is responsible for the inclusion of haddock, a fish not exactly plentiful in the Bay of Bengal. David Burton, author of The Raj at Table, explains that smoked Scottish haddock was becoming more available nationally at this time, and so we were subsequently added to the dish here. 
Mrs. Beaton only ever used mustard as her heat-giving condiment, which is odd, given that curry powder appears elsewhere in her eponymous tome. Over the years, all sorts of things have been added, from peas to hard-boiled eggs to mango chutney. So it's an Indian dish that's now made with totally different British ingredients that was once eaten for breakfast, but now is more likely to be eaten for supper. Clear? Good. Though a few decades older than Weetabix, shredded wheat was also intended as a bread substitute, and it too was promoted with a variety of toppings and serving suggestions. Adverts from the 1900s encouraged housewives to split them and toast them under a grill before topping with fruit, or even a poached egg. Again, in the name of research, I actually tried this combination for a recent Radio 4 documentary, and I can tell you that it's not particularly nice, and far too dry. This, it goes with anything for a dried biscuity cereal product, sounds bonkers these days, right? Well, the latest Rivita ad is exactly that. Yoghurt was once the foodstuff of traditional Greek farmers and those with an intimate love of dairy animals. It was only ever eaten in this country by health-conscious hippies in the 1960s. You'll find no trace of it in the likes of Mrs Beaton or right up to Dorothy Hartley in the 1950s. Historically, a soured milk product in Britain was called a wig or a whey wig sometimes flavoured with herbs such as mint or sage, and even then normally consumed as a drink. But even this use had pretty much died out by the end of the 19th century. Then, in 1963, ski yoghurt was launched, which saw masses of fruit and sugar added to natural yoghurt and single-handedly create a whole supermarket sector overnight. Of course, now that sugar's in the spotlight, we are, in some cases at least, returning to natural or Greek-style yoghurts once more. Georgian physician and health farm entrepreneur William Oliver extolled the virtues of drinking Bath's waters. He also invented the Bath bun, made with a sweetish dough and often containing caraway seeds. His patients, however, enjoyed his buns rather too much, so he invented the Bath Oliver, made from flour, milk, butter, malt and hops. It was a light, easy-to-digest biscuit and helped some of his more portly patients slim down. They were, in their way, the original Rivita, they're still available, although now more like to be topped with a big slab of cheese. Huntley and Palmer's, biscuiteers to the rich and famous, even do a chocolate-coated one, which they describe as the ultimate biscuit indulgence, which is probably not what Dr Oliver had in mind. Another product of empire, tonic water, was a way to make quinine a touch more palatable. From the 17th century until the 1940s, quinine was the only anti-malarial medicine available and British staff stationed in tropical regions where malaria was rife began mixing the bitter bark extract with soda water. These original medicinal tonics contain large amounts of quinine, some 500 to 1,000 milligrams, whereas the quinine in your average G&T today is about 80 milligrams. They're there to give the unique bitter flavour, so what started off as a medicine soon became a mixer. An equivalent today would be for Cavornia cough syrups to bring out a cocktail. So where does all this leave us? Well, products are constantly evolving, and what seems clear-cut right now might not be so in the future. Today's products, like ice cream, are always sweet, but there are those tinkering at the edges with more savoury flavours, like parmesan, which is great slightly melted with ham and melon on a hot day, or even chilli, that goes great with tiger prawns. And just a few years ago, salted caramel would have sounded ridiculous, and now it's hard to find unsalted caramel. So what products do you think will change their serving suggestions in the years to come? In the meantime, I'm off for a bath Oliver and a glass of Lucasade. <laughs> well, we hope you enjoy them, Andrew. Uh, that was Andrew Webb at the Museum of Brands in London's Notting Hill. It's open from 10 till 6 Monday to Saturday and 11 to 5 on Sundays. <laughs> Yeah. 
There's the familiar sound of green onions signalling the start of our job section. Now, first up is Hot Numbers Cafe. Now, they've got vacancies for a head chef or kitchen manager at their Shepworth Roastery. They're also looking for a junior baker and a junior brunch chef, also in Shepworth. Now, in their... Oh, yeah, they're also looking for them in Trumpington Street and Guider Street locations as well, as necessary. They also need three or four front-of-house or barista staff at Guider and Trumpington Street. And if any of those positions interest you, please send a CV and a covering letter to admin at hotnumberscoffee.co.uk. Radmore Farm Shop in Victoria Avenue is looking for someone to join their team part-time uh, to be a store assistant. It's about eight hours a week, spread over Tuesday, Wednesday and Saturday. If you're interested, email vicky at radmorefarmshop.co.uk for more information. City Pub Group is looking to appoint a regional chef, offering to support their kitchens in Norwich, North Norfolk, Bury St Edmunds and Cambridge. Details are on the City Company website for which you can also apply. And have we got time for one normal news piece? I think not. Okay, we better round up the end of the show then. That is the end of our show for today. We're here on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated Mondays at 6 and Thursdays at 2, and available by podcast soon. Coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1 is the Cambridge Folk Festival, uh, Festival until 6. We're back on the 13th of August with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. So until then, good- goodbye.